0: Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Tom and Toby from Flux, discussing server-side Kotlin and what they're building and how they've built it. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Hi, hey. We were actually discussing this with Jerry, um, one of your colleagues, in terms of the work that you're doing with uh, Kotlin, and there were some interesting aspects. First of all, obviously, it's server-side, which is great. You know, it's not just uh, another mobile. Hmm. Um, secondly. It was kind of written from the ground up. And, uh, you know, we decided to record this show to give some insight a little bit into how you're doing things and, and why Kotlin and the challenges that you face, both from a technical perspective as well as maybe, um, you know, process slash um, selling the, the idea, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So, to start with, can you give us a brief overview of what exactly Flux is?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, Flux, uh, Flux. what we do is we are delivering receipts into your mobile banking app. Um, effectively, what that means is at the moment you go to a store and you'll get a paper receipt, typically. Um, and we think that's crazy. So you go from, you know, in the UK, certainly 21st century contactless receipts. And then you go to like 100 BC technology of a paper receipt. Um, so what we do is we take a, a feed of data from the retailer. We take a feed of data from the bank. We combine those two together and we deliver the receipt back into the mobile banking app so that when you view your transaction you see not only you know where you purchased something and how much and when but exactly what you bought so you know, the coffee you bought the um sandwich you have for lunch everything and because we see what you bought we can also then drive loyalty off the back of that so we can do uh, coffees you know do a coffee loyalty buy one get you know buy four get one free and then we deliver that loyalty instantly back to your banking app via cashback
0: Okay. So, uh, and now you've opened up a can of worms that I'm going to talk to about, uh, but that's a little bit later on. Uh, yeah. But so effectively what you're doing here is, is, are you combining essentially the the normal receipt that I would get as a credit card transaction, along with the receipt that I would get from the till effectively?
1: Yeah, effectively that. So at the moment, the bank sees a very small set of data. They see effectively um, what it is, you know, where it is you went. So you say you went to eat, uh, what time you went, how much you spent. And that's basically it. And so you're missing a huge amount of data there. You're missing exactly what you bought, um, some data about the store. You're missing any loyalty data you might have, have captured. And so we're combining those two data sets. Effectively, the bank knows who you are and the retailer knows what you bought. And we're just taking those two and putting them together.
0: Okay. Uh, so how is that... I mean, is that all anonymized in some way or... So, like. we, yeah, so
1: the retailer never sees your individual details. So the retailer is never going to see that you know, you bought a flat white, right? They right. What they will see is aggregated anonymized data on how many flat whites have been bought, uh, at what kind of frequency. People who buy these products tend to be more loyal than people who buy these products, that kind of thing. But yeah, absolutely, they won't ever see your, your personal data. We do have that because we have to know who you are to order to deliver the receipt back into your banking app. Um, we don't sell that back to the retailer. We don't sell it to third parties. It's just not what we want to do.
0: And does the bank see what I what I've done?
1: Yes, the bank sees what you do. Um, they they see the receipt, but there are um, restrictions on what they can do with that data okay. to protect you from from bad things.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh. So yeah I'm, I'm kind of like always privacy conscious a little bit so that's why it was more kind of like an interesting aspect of that um i i can definitely see the utility in there because you know a lot of times like for example for myself when i'm traveling a lot of times that you know i have to keep two receipts and and share this receipts with my uh when filing for invo- uh, for expenses and and you end up basically scanning Uh, taking pictures, well, scanning. Back in the old days, we used to have these things called scanners. Now we just have a a camera that takes a picture and then digitizes essentially the receipt, right? So, and the paper is left somewhere rotting.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I think at some point we hope to like integrate with some like expensing providers, for example, so we can deliver the data straight to them when you mark it as a receipt in the banking app. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of waste of paper going on, right? Mm. And, and, And the funny thing is that a lot of this paper is printed on... Uh, with with the kind of I think it's kind of what is it uh, BPA? the type of yes yeah, BPA pardon?
2: BPA I think
0: yeah yeah so that you know if you expose it to the sun or to light it basically goes black
1: yeah because it's um thermal paper so it's yeah. printed by heat
0: yeah th- that's it thermal paper is yeah, what I was looking for exactly
1: and it's really it's really oily paper in fact we've we recently launched a campaign called Beat the Receipts, um trying to highlight the, this this problem because. You know, it's a huge amount of, of waste of resource in terms of paper, in terms of oil. But it's actually it's it's actually genuinely bad for you. Um, the paper that is printed, it's not good. Um, it's not good for the environment. It can't be recycled in almost all cases. Um, so it, it's just it's not only a big expense to the retailer, but it's a big expense for the environment, and it's not good for your you as an individual. Um, so yeah, we're we're working really hard to raise awareness of that, and obviously we're trying to fix the problem by by replacing them with digital receipts anyway
0: yeah and it's ironic because like for example i don't know how it works in the uk but in spain you have to keep like your receipts for five years i'm like you realize and in five years all of this paper is just black yeah you faded you know the best ones are those things
2: that come with lifetime warranties a lot um providing you actually have the paper receipt still um but it's I have one, for example. It's, it's not even legible anymore, but I still have to take it with me when yeah. when
1: using. And then it. they look at this piece of paper, and they're like, "What well, <laughs> me? Anything?" It's just got the logo on the back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Here's your lifetime warranty. Like, yeah. I know you never think of these things, right? It's like hilarious. <laughs> Please keep the receipt for your lifetime. Anyway, I'm um, talking about, uh, or let's stop talking about receipts. Uh, so you've b- built this as, essentially, this is a server-side application, or is it web, or is it, like, uh, interacts with hardware devices? How does it work?
2: Uh, I think it's a bit of both, really. So we got, we got the retailer side of things. Um, called We call the product Blueberry. Um, so that's built with Kotlin on the back end, actually using GraphQL, and then, like, React the, uh, on the front end. Um, but it, we've, we've also got our server-side APIs, which are primarily using DropWizard and Kotlin. Um we've been experimenting a little bit with Ktor, um and and that kind of I think we we've got maybe fifteen services now. Yeah, about that. And um so we kind of we host all of those in Kubernetes and um we, we've been using them to oh I'm trying to think how many, I think.
0: Um so the front ends is uh, you said it's React. Is that React uh, pure JavaScript or React with Kotlin Re- as React well? React pure
2: JavaScript. Um, personally, I've played around with Re- React and Kotlin, um, but I just I think it's one of those cases. A little bit like TypeScript in the beginning, where it wasn't. It's not quite ready to use just yet. Um, there was there was just like the typings and dealing with like uh, the the TypeScript typings into Kotlin typings, for example, was quite quite painful. Mm especially with like a bunch of libraries and
1: yeah there's huge potential i mean I, I i've experimented we've both experimented with it separately at different times and like been really excited by the prospect of being able to write Kotlin on the front end and like we're both <laughs> back-end developers by um you know in history but like so front end for us is a bit of an it's not unknown we've both done it but it's it's harder to get stuff done in a new language especially javascript <laughs> um, like the idea of being able to write Kotlin on the front end is super exciting but it just, yeah it hasn't quite got there yet I don't think I really hope it does uh, maybe I should try again
2: yeah I, th- I think it's like one of those cases where a, a bit like TypeScript in the beginning you kind of had to like force it upon yourself a little bit mm. and I think in this case maybe maybe it's well maybe it's, it's a great idea it's just uh, at the moment like for- I think the times with it been trying to use it as like when we're trying to spin up like a quick tool or something. So we think, oh we'll do it in Kotlin, make it quicker. And yeah. it's just, it just it would be quicker if it wasn't for the typings pain that you have to deal with. I think if you're writing yeah. something purely from scratch and didn't use third party dependencies, it wouldn't yeah, be so much of a problem.
0: Um so when did you try the React uh, part?
2: Uh, a few months ago now. I mean six months ago? Yeah, I think probably six 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 to eight months ago for yeah. me as well. Yeah.
0: I mean we're using it internally. We've got a few products. Uh, one of them is uh, still not public and we're using react with kotlin for it yeah um but you know a lot of times there are people that have tried it maybe like a year a year and a half ago and and haven't gone back to trying it i mean there's been there's been substantial improvement but at the same time it feels like a a catch-22 situation right which is you know people try it uh, have certain issues quite often they don't give us this feedback we don't know about it and yeah, it, just it, it stays there, right?
1: It's a tricky one because you know certainly from my perspective, I you know, I tried it um and I'm sure that it does work. It's just that I couldn't make it work. And then you know the amount of time that I am able to dedicate towards that kind of an experiment, yeah. obviously especially working in the startup environment that we're in, is, is relatively small. And so you know you give it a go, doesn't quite work, you move on, you have the time to you know give that feedback. And also you know, giving that feedback, I'm sure that if I spent more time I could get it to work. And so it's not that it's broken it's just that i can't i haven't figured it out yet right I'm not smart enough
0: absolutely and, and, and I'm not,
1: so yeah. yeah i think that's one of the really exciting things about colin is it is moving so quickly that i'm sure that if i looked at it again it'd be a whole lot better and again again another six months time it'll probably be really good and so i hope that we will do that and i'm sure we will do that um and there's a huge amount of great work going on so um i'm very optimistic about that future it's just uh yeah, when you're making quick decisions in a startup, you have to, uh, you, sometimes you have to stick with what you know, sometimes you have to try something new. And the other Sure.
0: Pieces. And we shouldn't lose sight that your main goal isn't to provide feedback for our tools, but it's to actually deliver <laughs> value for that your that business. <laughs> yeah. But um, with Kotlin on the server side, you have been successful, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, I'd okay. say
1: access. Kotlin on the server side has been a great success. and um, right. It's made our code a lot better, a lot easier to read in, in most cases. Um, yeah. And just honestly, it's made being a developer a nicer and more pleasant experience.
0: Yeah. I so mean, what were you before being Kotlin developers?
1: So we were Java developers before that. Um, Pretty much, you've yeah. done I don't know a you few other languages but like ma- mainly Java. I uh,
2: yeah. played around a bit with Go like um, but yeah. I was also did Ruby for a bit. So yeah. yeah,
1: um, yeah and actually I, I immediately before switching to Kotlin I was writing an iOS app in Swift. Um, and loving Swift as a language I think it's a great language. So well, yeah. it's a great language especially when you compare it to Objective-C, which was just garbage. Um, and so, you know, coming to Swift and being pleasantly surprised by how much better it was and seeing some of the features in Swift and thinking, I really want this on the Java side, and then Kotlin comes along. So in my sphere, it's existed for a while now, um, I, I came, became aware of Kotlin and thought, well, this is great. This is exactly what I want. And the more I started using it, the, the, the nicer it was to, to work with.
0: And you've talked about being a startup. Yes. Uh, how many people are you?
1: So total team size now is around 20. Um, on the development side, um, we're about kind of six or seven.
0: Right, and was Kotlin a hard sell?
1: Uh, um, Depends how you said it. And so no, because when <laughs> we started Kotlin, Toby had just joined as the first backend engineer. Um, I, as CTO, was, was doing all the development before that, and I had already just done it. Um, I only had to convince myself. So <laughs> I, I was quite quite a fortunate position yeah. there, where I you know there wasn't a big sell to make. Um, it's, it's quite strange. I think
2: I think when it comes to like the hiring process, it's it's not a hard sell. I think it's just like sometimes people naturally stick with what they know. Yeah. Um. But for all of well, all of our backend developers at the moment, um, I, I don't think a single one has any real hate. Essentially, they all love Kotlin now.
1: Yeah. Um, and none of them I think had used Kotlin before really. No. Yeah. And
2: it hasn't taken long for them to pick it up either. Um. I, I think the other thing is. Obviously, there are small niggles and like differences with compared to Java and Kotlin, but like there's no complaints, which is great.
1: No, and I think, um, certainly from a hiring perspective, hiring is hard anyway, um, particularly hard in London. and I'm sure it's hard everywhere. Um, and it, I think we have faced some challenges where people rule themselves out of applying because they look at it and go, oh, it's a Kotlin position, I don't know Kotlin, therefore I can't apply.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to actually ask you, like, how did you advertise it? Did you advertise as we want Java developers? And if you know Kotlin, great. Or did you leave Kotlin in there at all?
2: That's that's definitely one of the approaches we've taken. I I mean, we got like a few ads. I think we've tried like a Kotlin ad, a non-Kotlin ad, a Java ad, like a general developer ad. I don't think... I'm. I'm not sure of the stats, to be honest. I don't know no, you know. I
1: think um, if, if in some ways many the which spec they applied to does isn't actually representative of which spec they read necessarily. Because yeah. um, you'll look at it and then you'll come back to it and you won't necessarily click on the same button. But certainly the feedback I think we've had is that advertising as a Java role or a developer role rather than a Kotlin role is good. So although Kotlin is is new and and it's attractive to people, um, you kind of need to warm them up a bit first. So it, it signposts you as a, a team that are using good new, you know, cutting-edge tech, but it also scares some people off. And so you need to do that extra bit of work to say, look, you, if you're a great Java dev, you'll be fine, right? We're not going to expect you to know Kotlin on day one. There is going to be time to learn it. It's super easy to learn, and once you start using it, you're going to love it. And then people generally want once you've got that message through are, are good. Um, it's just you have to do that extra bit of education first, and I think that that's just a small problem that we have at the moment. I think it, over time it will get loads and loads better as more and more people have used it in the past. They'll, they'll no longer have that concern. I think.
0: Of course, one of the problems here is that when people are looking for jobs, they often look at the language, right? And a lot of times when I've encountered you know, when I've had conversations with people who are saying, Hey, have you looked at Kotlin? They used to say, Well, there's not many jobs available, right? And if you from one side you don't want to advertise Kotlin because you don't want to have candidates self disqualify themselves. From the other side, it's counterproductive, right? Because it kind of feels like, oh, the the Kotlin job market isn't really taking off as such.
1: I think um one of the solutions is to advertise both. And then you've got that that problem. And I think also from the conversations I've been having, especially with candidates, a lot of companies are now starting to trial Kotlin, migrate a few things over to Kotlin, and thinking about writing more of their code in Kotlin. So I think over time that that tide will turn. Um, it's definitely a problem now.
2: Yeah, I think I think as well. Like it's obviously it's a really fast growing language. Um, I think that is it. The GitHub stats are really like the the graph is quite impressive how how yeah. quickly it's growing um another thing we have is like obviously a lot of people are using kotlin on on android side uh so when when it comes to the server side we're having candidates supply thinking it, we're, we're actually a mobile shop or something like that so i think it's just bringing awareness that Kotlin is also good for server side and not just android so
0: uh, yeah which is which is a good point as well right because a lot of times people when you talk about kotlin they automatically say oh it's an android position yeah. so Explicitly saying this is server-side or it's desktop or it's not Android is also um, valuable there, right?
1: So I think yeah, Google adopting Kotlin for Android was a, a blessing and a curse. Um, it yeah. massively increased popularity and, and awareness of it, but you know, it would be such a shame if Kotlin became a mobile-only language because it's it can do so much more than that.
0: Yeah, and a, a lot of times I ha- have these conversations with people of, of, I say, you know, are you using Kotlin? No, we don't do Android development. Yeah, yeah but Kotlin isn't only and. Oh, it's not only an Android language. No, it's, it's not. Just, uh, yeah. uh, Google's anyway. language is usually another <laughs> thing I hear. So. <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, so, but I was just thinking that maybe one approach would be, you know, we're looking for Java, and Kotlin developers, and then like a sentence. If you don't know Kotlin, don't worry, right? Yeah. It's it's kind of you'll you'll pick it up in a week. I think that's almost kind of uh,
2: what we what we've got. written.
0: I think the key thing is like just we. Ha- I think we
2: have a spec now with just Java and a spec with just Kotlin, like in the header, because some people don't go even any further. You know, when they see something they don't really know. Uh, yeah, I think it's also Java is a is a big world. It's not it's not like a, a language that's been around for a couple of years, is it? So it's I think there's a lot of different like people with lots of varied experience with Java. So it's just kind of, some of those are more interested in Kotlin than others.
1: Now you have the classic, uh, I've used Java EE, and then you ask them, and then you've never used Java EE, it's Java SE. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> other than so, that.
0: Yeah. But, I wonder if it would make sense to just say, we're looking for a JVM developer, because really Java, as the ecosystem, is way more, uh, you know, versatile in comparison to something like .NET, I mean, usually when you would look for a .NET developer, what you were really saying is, "I want a C Sharp developer," yeah, yeah. because you know even Microsoft doesn't really care about F Sharp, <laughs> and 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 here it's not right. Here it's like, yeah, I know Java 2EE, so can I use Scala for it, or can I use Kotlin, or can I use Groovy or whatever, right, or, or Spring or what have you.
1: Well, yeah, and it raises really interesting questions about what the future of Java and JVM are, right? Because yeah, yeah, in many ways a lot of what was good about Groovy got folded back into the language, um, you know, which is great. And is the same thing going to happen here? Is it going to end up being that we have five or six different languages that, that exist in the long term? It's hard to know at this point, but um, well, I guess it's really exciting. You've
2: actually still got, you've got like uh, Scala, also Clojure is quite, quite yeah. popular on the JVM as well, so um, yeah. I guess the JVM itself is becoming a platform that will yes. be used maybe more than the language itself. So. Yeah.
0: So, talking about the actual platform, uh, you mentioned that you are developing this with Drop Wizard and that you had looked at Ktor. Yeah. Now, before even mentioning Ktor, it's interesting that you picked Drop because usually when people talk about server-side and with Kotlin, it kind of like automatically moves towards Spring, right? So, or Spring Boot.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I only probably should check my dates here, but in in my mind, what happened was Spring existed and was big and horrible and painful to work with, and did did a ama- like to be clear did amazing things and like moved the state of the art on. But after a while, it becomes big and bloated and hard to work with. it came along, kind of how created that, and like it was a much smaller package. It was much more concise. It worked out of the box and out of the box. It does lots of the things you wanted to do, like logging requests responses, yeah, all just like useful stuff you need. Uh, And then Spring Boot was the stripped down version of Spring that kind of copied what DropWizard did. And so in my mind, you you kind of tend to either use DropWizard or Spring Boot. Um, And Spring Boot certainly seems to be more popular. I don't really see a massive difference between them. They they seem to approach things in a pretty similar way these days. Um, And it's funny how over time, you know, Spring was massive. Spring Boot is like a smaller version of Spring. Now, like Kator and and things like that make Spring Boot look big. Um, so over time things have become much smaller much quicker much more compact I,
2: I could be totally wrong here to be honest I don't know spring very well at all but I think it takes like the, the dependency injection approach from the beginning whereas drop is a bit less magic yeah. and like you kind of add the magic yourself um, I think the reason that cater appeals a bit more to us is because we, we we started out obviously without really knowing what services would kind of look like and now we, we know that Realistically, we've got a few big services that need to become much smaller. And this is where Kato is great because first of all, it's like the it's like really native. It feels like really nice to use, but also is like super, super simple really. And and hopefully it means that we can just have a real small but simple service that does what we need rather and like multiple ones rather than having like one big one in DropWizard, for example.
1: Yeah, Kato in many ways seems to discourage you from creating large services, um, which is, is good. Yeah.
0: It's funny you keep talking about that and I'm just looking at the Ktor website and we haven't used the word microservices anywhere. Maybe if we do, <laughs> that would attract more people. <laughs> it's like- Mi-
2: microservices, yeah, I mean, it's a very abused term, right? But um, I think the other thing that really appeals to be on is like Ktor client, because like HTTP clients, for example, you've got a bunch of Java ones. There's a bunch of Kotlin ones, but like it doesn't seem that any of them, you have Fuel, for example, which is super nice. But again, it's like more, slightly more focused towards Android. Yeah. Um,
0: what about OKHTTP? I mean, don't you generally, like, isn't that somewhat of a standard? I think
2: so. I mean, to be honest, we don't use it. I can't remember. The the one we use is like a really use, small, <laughs> random one of GitHub.
1: Uh, I can't remember. Uh, I want to say Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. Kevin. Kevin something. someone. Yeah. It's, it's um some project. I, I think it's reasonably widely used. It's um basically all an HTTP client in one class. It's... it's both good and bad a micro http client, maybe (laughs) that's a trendy way of saying it um Um, yeah like it's pretty good because it's really easy to use but it's also got some foibles that make it hard i mean at this point we've wrapped our own layer around it anyway um to do the kind of flux specific bits and pieces um so for us at the moment our http library is actually not super important because it's just doing the, the heavy lifting part yeah. Um. But, yeah, I think my, we might be approaching the time where it needs replacing fairly soon.
2: Well, I I, th- I think it's also, like, to be honest, we've been using coroutines a bit more. Yeah. Um. Obviously, this is where Ktor is, like, first-class support for them, and the same for for the client as well. Um, I, From memory, yeah. like, everything is, like, co- coroutine-based in both of those cases. So it's, uh, it's much more native and, like, nicer to use rather than having to, like, force it into something that th- isn't designed from the ground up around it.
0: Yeah. So how many services did you say you have right now? Roughly uh, things like 15, roughly
2: yeah.
0: 15. And what is the balance there between Drop Wizard and Ktor? Uh,
2: to be honest, we have no Ktor services in production right now. Is yeah, that, we've is
1: got that got something got I'm actively th- working on? Yeah, we've got two or three things okay. that are in, are being developed and are in kind of testing stages. But yeah, not not production yet.
0: Okay. And what about with DropWizard? Have you had any issues with Kotlin there or is it just the integration is smooth it's and nice?
1: generally been okay. I mean, I've I think, been using DropWizard for a long time now, so I kind of know the, the problem points, if that makes sense. Um, I think there will many Kotlin... Like
0: Google juice, like
2: the dependency injection yeah. is where most of our problems, if any, come from. Because yes. obviously the way Kotlin is compiled, I actually mentioned this the other day to someone. Um, essentially the way Kotlin is compiled, it, it makes a lot of sense. But in many cases, if you're using default arguments, you have... More than one constructor, so then when using dependency injection, it breaks at runtime. but Everything compiles fine. Um, I think that's the only real notable issue.
1: Yeah, there have been some weird stuff towards transactionality, but I think that was yeah. that was down to our code rather than Colin.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about that a couple of days ago with uh, Kevin. Most we were, I was doing an episode on compiler plugins, and <laughs> we were discussing this. You know, one of the issues that you have with Using serialization, where you have to kind of provide default parameters, and then one of the plugins that exists is the no args or or uh, yeah. or no init. I can't remember the name. Yeah. Uh, I I personally just use most of the time. I've been using uh, Juice, not Juice JSON um, yeah. from which just like I don't care what constructors you have, I'll just do my stuff anyway. Uh,
2: I looked at the, uh, the next serialization stuff a couple of times. It still seems like it's early stages, really.
0: I think it's actually kind of there now. Uh, We have support on the JVM. We've got support on JavaScript. And I think that native is more or less there. I think,
2: to be honest, Uh, I think I was more speaking in performance. But then again, I I suppose something that's like multi-platform, you can't necessarily expect to be like as fast as something like Jackson, for example. And it's also like very payload specific, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I haven't done any performance uh, comparisons there, but I'm hoping that e- even if there are any issues, that those will be addressed, right? I mean, at the end of the day, this has kind of been the pattern, you know, with, with Kotlin as well. The, the compiler, at first, it was very, very slow. I mean, it wasn't very, very, like, we're not talking scholar slow, but it was slow. <laughs> uh, and one of the promises was, hey, let's get it as fast as Java, and we're not there yet. But it has been increasing over the, over the years, right? It's the point right. now where we don't. Yeah, it's not it. noticeably slow, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. I think on the Android side, it's a little bit more, but yeah. then it, it always goes back to what part of that is Gradle, what part of it is Android Studio, what part There's of it a lot is. But it's process in Android as well,
2: isn't it? So, yeah. Which yeah. Was, it's, well, it's, well, it's I don't big think, we any, if, we, we have, I think we have any at all. No, I don't, I don't think we have any at all. None explicit, I don't think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the other thing with annotation processing as well. I mean, you were talking about this in regards to uh, Spring, where you said there's a lot of magic, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not familiar with Drop Wizard, but, you know, sometimes you, d- you do look at some of these frameworks, like, for example, even Spring Boot, and you see one method with one line of code and then 30 uh, annotations above it, yeah. yeah. right? And you feel like, okay, so you know what exactly is this code doing? I don't know. Let's go look at, through all of these annotations and see what these are doing. But
1: the problem is you can't just look at what that annotation It's not like you can you know, click through and see what that annotation yeah, does. It's actually it exactly. really hard. And I yeah. think that's the thing. Magic is, is great until it stops working, and then you really, really hate it. I think Kotlin has tried to work around that a bit.
2: I, I mean, I don't know if this was an explicit choice, but obviously it's quite a nice language when it comes to DSLs and stuff like that. So you see DSLs being used a bit more to wrap things. Like coroutines, for example, rather than using like annotations or something mm. is like all like a nice DSL, yeah, and you get which I think, I think it actually event. makes it really easy then to follow and understand what each method does.
0: Yeah, I think if you find that balance of having, you know, concise, expressive, yeah. uh, getting rid of, because a lot of the times at the end of the day, if you look at an annotation, what is it trying to do is trying to primarily get rid of boilerplate code. Yeah right, and and get rid of the repetitive stuff. Um, so if you can express that in a concise way that doesn't make you have to know all of the conventions and the magic that's going on behind an annotation, it feels kind of like a win-win, right? Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely, I think it, it's, um, you start using annotations and you think it's great, and it, in many ways it is great because it removes all that boilerplate code, it makes your code easier to read, then you get to the point where you have too many, it becomes hard again, and you, you kind of move on to the next solution, and gradually over time it gets better. I think this is the point where annotations have had their, their day in some places. It's been overused, and now we need to start using it a bit less.
2: I think more more in Java, like, it was probably one of the nicest ways to do something. Yeah, to definitely. Be fair. Like, if you was talking about Java code, I think, like, a lot of annotations, maybe whilst not being the best, is still probably better than having like a lot of like nasty kind Mm. of boilerplate. So Kotlin gives you those tools to to make it better again. Whereas with Kotlin, obviously the support for like really, really nice, simple DSLs means it's like, I think that's when you start to complain when you realize that it could be better in other ways. Whereas like before people didn't complain quite so much because there wasn't a better Mm. way. So
0: and in regard to DSLs, are you using them beyond what, for example, I mean, you said you're playing with Ktor, so there's a little bit of it there. I don't know if there's any wrappers or anything around DropWizard for that, but do you generally try and do code design as a DSL, like internal DSLs for different parts of your systems?
2: Uh, I, think, I think we've got a few small ones. Um, to be honest, a lot of the stuff we've got isn't that appropriate for, for it right now. And I think that brings up like, an interesting point. Is like, I think, as well, there's a lot of things in Kotlin that are great, but they can be kind of like overused as well. Um, I think DSLs is one that is it works both ways, but also like with chaining and stuff like that. Um, we know in the beginning where we all, we tried to like do too much Kotlin, let's say, and it became like really hard to read. So it's like about using uh, a combination of of the the features, but without like overusing them to the point where it's like not natural.
0: Yeah. And are you using anything in terms of, because when you talked about chaining, I'm guessing you're talking a little bit about like more functional approaches there of like pipelining calls. Yeah, I
1: think um, I yeah as I started to use some of the methods that you get given in Kotlin more and more, um, it got to the point where I was writing quite complicated pipelines of code entirely as like one-liner chains of letters and applies. And in many ways, it's really nice. And then you someone else looks at it and they go, I don't know what this does. Um, and so yeah. you have to have a balance between the two. I think chaining works really well when it is just like a series of a pipeline of function calls where you're passing the result from one set to the next. Collection just, handling, I guess. Collection handling yes. is really good. Um, but when you start to do, when you have a logic in the lines themselves, it becomes very hard to read. Um,
0: Cool. So we're kind of running out of time here uh, to wrap up a little bit. Do you have any recommendations for people in terms of adopting Kotlin server side? What they do's and don'ts, whether it's from a technical perspective or from a hiring or organizational perspective.
1: Um, I, I would say it's been, it's definitely made our development both better in terms of the right and more. In- <laughs> better in terms of the code right, write and more enjoyable as well. Um, I think for us, when we started, our project was relatively small and so we'd be able to grow that code base over time. I think the interoperability within Java and Kotlin is so good that you could very easily start migrating small parts of code. And so I think that's the thing is it doesn't need to be a big bang project. You don't have to be like, right, we're never writing Java again, we're only writing Kotlin. You can pick a smaller area of your infrastructure pick a smaller area of your code base. And maybe if you're in the unlucky situation of dealing with a monolith that has been around for a long time, which I've certainly done many times, you can convert bits of those over to Kotlin over time. It doesn't have to be, right, this is all we're doing now. And so I would say it's, you know, just try doing a bit of it and see how things go. You can always turn it back if it doesn't work. It's not, yeah you know, other languages that you can use, it's, it's all or nothing. You have to, like, fully buy into the system. And if you decide not to do it later, it's a massive pain to pull it back. Whereas Kotlin isn't like that; it's much better at playing nice. Do you have any Java code? We have, I think, it's about five lines of Java code. I think
2: we have a few classes that are like slightly, mainly for deserialization, that are just a bit slightly easier to represent in Java than Kotlin because uh, they're like really weird and complicated
1: because of XML. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, but other than that, all, all a- of the meaningful code is in Kotlin now.
0: That's interesting. I, I, like, is there a specific reason for that that you feel be it's, honest, it's off, easier?
2: to... Off the top of my head, I don't have it. I think it's like one of those cases. It was like at the
1: time, it wasn't so simple. It was um, um, there. Is there's one class which is use it's using annotations and a method interceptor, and there was a prob- there was an, a problem between the way that Kotlin was representing the class structure compared to Java, and then the like the return type got man got mangled up. Um, and I, I'm sure it's fixable. It was one of those ones where we migrated to Kotlin. It looked fine. We put it into test and it blew up. And so we migrated it back. You know, we just reverted that change and didn't think about it again because it's like it's one isolated class. that doesn't really do anything. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Still might be good to, um, uh, you know,
1: get that. Yeah, can figure yeah, it out and see they... what the actual problem was. It might not be fixed yeah. by now. Yeah. it <laughs> probably
0: How long have you been with Kotlin code? Uh,
2: 18 months now. As long as 18, so, months. Yeah, nine,
0: 18, 19 months. So. And the Kotlin code that you wrote day one, do you see any improvements over it? Have you become more Kotlinized or less Java uh, I'm sorry, I'm making up. Yeah, yeah, I think I think
2: the key thing is that in the beginning, you either used too much Kotlin or not enough Kotlin. And I think now we've struck like a good balance. And I think as, as well, um, we, we now well, we have the benefit now, like things are, I'm trying to think there's, like data classes, for example, in the beginning, like some of our models were still in Java. um, So we still had to mess around quite a bit with the interoperability. Whereas now like we have everything, pretty much every model we've got is represented in a data class. Um, We're using extension functions a bit to make like, rather than like make the data classes that really big and fat kind of thing. Yeah, Um, I think think think
1: that's like one of the big tips for, for, for me is like, private extension functions are amazing because you can add a function onto your data class. Your model typically has a set of functions which are telling you something about the state of that model. And they're often only actually used in one or maybe two places. They're they're perfect as a private extension function because you you have the natural model object dot is valid. And it it looks really nice and you can read it really clearly, but you're not populating your namespace with stuff that is actually only relevant to one part of the code.
0: Right. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, it was great chatting to you too. Yeah, you did. Thank yeah, you. you. Want... Yep. And uh, are you guys planning on heading to Colin Com? I is. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Wear something warm. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh... it's that tiny little detail of the weather. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, Mine... it sometimes gets cold. It is inside, it right? <laughs> <laughs> <was> uh... <laughs> oh, damn. I knew I forgot something. It's in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Cool. Well, it was great chatting with you and uh, hope to see you then at ColinCon. Yeah, great. See you then.